0: So I want you to pull out that, that your program j- j- just for a quick second, and uh, I want you to look at the follow class. It starts this Wednesday night. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ in the last week or month or maybe within the last year, this is the class you need to be in. It begins Wednesday night. It's not really even like a class. I actually lead it, and it meets in the fireside room from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. There's child care. And uh, it really is a fantastic time. It's a very intimate time, and I'd love to have you be a part of it. But what you've got to do is you've got to call that, that phone number down there at the bottom and say, I'm going to be there Wednesday so we have enough books and, and stuff uh, that we can put into your hands, okay? And we'd have all the, uh, all the material we want to give you, and it's a great chance for me to get to know you, answer a lot of your questions, and, and it's, a, it's a way to really kind of figure out how do, you, how do you follow the Lord? And so if you're, if you're new to the faith, please call that number so we have enough of these books and all that kind of stuff, and I'd love to have you be a part of it. You need to be a part of it. And those of you, I want to piggyback on what something that uh, Pastor Bobby said. If you've uh, been married less than seven years, listen, you need to be there Friday night. The, the, the bummer is, is that too many of you aren't going to make it to 14 years. I know right now everything's great. You've been married a year or two and you know everything's just hunky-dory. The problem is I've done this for 25 years here and I know what's coming. And it's super important that you're involved in, in the life of the church in this area where you can kinda hang out with other new young married folks. You can hang out with all these mentor couples It's critical that you're there. It's not just some dumb event we're putting on. It's just not a time for you to come and have fun, though we're going to have fun. It's a very serious thing, this new marriage that you're involved in. Very serious. And there are forces at work that want to do all that they can to make sure it doesn't last. It's why we have this special group of, of young marrieds Because we understand how critical it is. And so please, Friday night, come. I guarantee you're going to have a great time. You're going to have fun. But you need to understand from this pastor the seriousness of fellowshipping and being involved with other young married couples. It's a serious thing. And the divorce rate in our country uh, amongst believers is just as high as it is amongst unbelievers. And we want to make a difference in that area. And so please come to that thing. We have childcare. It's a few bucks if you need childcare. And if you don't have the money for childcare, just call and tell us, hey, man, I don't have the money. We're going to make sure you're there. That's how important that event is, that you're a part of that so we can hang out and, 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 and be together. And there's going to be a lot of fun and all that kind of, kind of stuff, okay? So just a couple thoughts there. Well, the Bible says this in, in Psalms chapter 34. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And last weekend, Easter weekend, I shared with you that, that really that's, that's my goal here at this, at this church. I, I want people who come here for whatever reason, whether they're in our children's ministries or there are youth ministries, whether you come to a Young Marriage Life event or you come to the Follow Class or whatever it is, a men's ministries here, women's ministries, regardless of what it is, that somehow you taste the Lord. Because if you'll taste the Lord, if if you taste Christ, I guarantee you, you'll see He's good, because He is good. But here's what happens. Too many times when people go to church, all they taste is the denomination. Or all they taste is the religion. Or all they taste is a bunch of rules and regulations, legalism. Or all they taste is a, a list of do's and don'ts, especially the, 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 the don'ts. The, the church is notorious for having a, a list of don'ts. Here are all the things you don't do, right? And you all can probably rattle off a few of those don'ts, which is why so many people want nothing to do with Jesus, because they really never taste him. They taste all the other stuff. They taste the denomination. They they taste the rules and the regulations. They they taste religion. And if that's all you taste, man, that, that just doesn't satisfy. It may satisfy for a moment. But it doesn't satisfy for eternity like really tasting Jesus Christ. And so it's our goal that somehow when you come, all the stuff, the songs, whatever they might be, it really does all point you to to Jesus Christ. Because I know that if you'll taste him, man, you'll never never be the same. There was this great moment in John chapter 6 where a lot of people who had been following Jesus were now walking away from him because they'd never really figured out who he was or they had never really tasted him. And Jesus asked his 12 guys a question. And Peter nails it. Listen to what Peter says. Uh, Verse uh, 67 says, At this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him, deserted Jesus. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the, the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you're the Holy One of God. Beloved, Peter got it. He knew that there was something special about Jesus. He knew that nothing else would satisfy him like Jesus. He had tasted Jesus, and he knew that Jesus was good. And so he says, look, I don't know what everybody else is doing. Other people may be walking away from you. Other people may have followed you around for a while and heard a good sermon and bumped into you and saw you do a miracle or whatever, and they may be leaving you, but I get it. I've tasted, and I know you're good. Where else would I possibly go? Who else could possibly give me what you've given me? A life that's just so incredibly significant. About two weeks ago, I met with a, a man who told me that he was an atheist. And I think sometimes they, they always think I'm going to be shocked, you know. Oh, no, no. You know, I just told the preacher, you know, I'm an atheist. You know, this guy didn't believe in God. So I asked him a question. I said, you describe for me what you think, you know, the God of the Bible is is like. I mean, based upon what you've seen on TV or the music that you've heard or from your friends or, you know, what you've seen in, in other Christians, describe God to me. And he did. He described in pretty good detail what he thought, you know, our God was like. And when he was done, I said to him, wow, I can see why you're an atheist. Because I, I, I wouldn't want to believe in that kind of God either. And I certainly wouldn't want to follow that kind of God. And I certainly wouldn't want to stand up in front of people and tell people about that kind of God. I'd be an atheist too. But that's what I thought God was like. You see, this guy had a, a totally warped view of God, which is why he wanted nothing to do with him. So about six weeks ago, I started a a series here at Big Valley Grace called Knowing God, which is all about learning who God really is. Because when you really know who God is, you'll have no problem giving your life over to Him. You'll have no problem following Him when you really know Him. When you really know Him. Not what Hollywood has told you about Him. Not what other people have told you about him, but who he really is. And that's why we have this book here. It's why all the verses I've put in your program, if you're visiting with us, or they'll be on the Jumbotrons, because I want you to see God's word for for yourself. See, God was the one who wrote it, and so he has all these cool things in here he says about himself, so that you'll know him. And then that last song we just sung was one of the, the great things that God wants you to know this book is really the greatest love story ever written it really is god makes us and creates us and we blow them off and he so loves us he so longs to have a relationship with us he sends his son jesus christ to come and ransom as a ransom for us unbelievable story and we want you to meet this god and and uh and, and know this God. And so far, we've looked at, at six truths about God. Number one, God is all knowing. Number two, God is everywhere. Number three, God is all powerful. Number four, God is unchanging. Number five, God is holy. And then two weeks ago, we looked at the fact that God is in control, He's, he's sovereign. In fact, inside your program, uh, what we've been doing is giving you, as a reminder, a little card. And it kind of gives you the, 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 some of the, the passages, the theological underpinnings to these truths. And then some thoughts on how this truth plays itself out in our everyday life. And I've told you that I'm just keeping all of them on a little ring. And uh, what's interesting is I keep it in my Bible. And and this past week, I just pulled it out. And I was just looking at them. And it, it just encouraged me to see all these great truths about God. It encouraged me to see all of these things and how they play themselves out in my life. And I hope that somehow... They're also an, an encouragement uh, uh, to you. Now today we're going to look at the uh, theological truth, the, the fact that God is love. Okay, In 1 John chapter 4, it's in your notes, it'll be on the jumbotron. The Bible says this, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love now what does it mean that God is love it means that it's in God's very nature to love it's, just, it's in his very nature to love now what does that mean well it means that God's love Okay, and I want you to just follow this It means that God loves not because he finds some object like human beings worthy of his love. He simply loves because it's in his very nature to love. In other words, God's love for you has nothing to do with you, how good or bad you are. God simply loves you because of who he is. You see, it's in God's very nature to love. He, he loves He loves you not because you're a good guy or a good gal or because you you know never been arrested or because you know you, you, your, your SAT scores were good or because of the color of your skin. He doesn't love you because you're here tonight. He doesn't love you because you gave an offering. He doesn't love you because you didn't give an offering. It's just in his very nature to love. He simply loves you because of who you are. And God proved this truth when He sent Jesus Christ, His only Son, to die for you on the cross. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrated His own love for us. And that while we were still sinners... Jesus Christ came and died for us, for you, for me. Beloved, because it's in God's very nature to love, He loved you even though you didn't want anything to do with Him. He loved you even though you had rejected Him. I spent the first 18, 19 years of my life in denial of who he was, in rejection of who he was. I mocked him, made fun of him, used his name in vain, mocked his people, mocked his church. And God still loved me. And the proof is, he sent Jesus Christ to a cross to die for me. Even though I wanted nothing to do with him. The cross proves that it's just in his very nature to love. Now, there's something else you need to understand about this phrase, God is love, and that is this. Love doesn't define who God is. Love isn't, you know, some all-encompassing attribute of God that somehow, you know, this is what defines him. We've already gone through six different attributes. Love is not the, you know, all-encompassing attribute of, you know, that somehow defines who God is, but God does define what love is. Hollywood doesn't get to, you know, define what love is. You don't get to define what love is. God is the one who defines what love is. And once again, it's at the cross where you see him defining love. Now with all this said, I want us to look at Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, once again, it'll be on the jumbotrons. The Bible says in verse 18 of Ephesians 3, this is Paul's prayer. He says, I pray that you and all of God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love. How wide and how long and how high and how deep that love is. Christ's love is greater than anyone can ever know. We will never understand at all how, you know, this this attribute, his his love for us, We'll, we'll just never fully get it. I don't think we'll fully get it when we're in glory. But obviously, Paul's prayer was, was that we'd somehow be able to get our handles on it. That we'd somehow be able to at least grapple with some of it. Because I'll tell you what, when you, when you really get it, when you taste the Lord, his love, <laughs> there isn't anything else you're gonna want. There isn't anything. There's nothing. I want to give you four things about the greatness of God's love. Number one, the greatness of God's love is so wide it includes everybody. John chapter 3 says, God so loved the world. He so loved the world. And, and he's not, he didn't love planet Earth. That's not what he's talking about there. The world is you. He so loved people that he gave his one and only Son, That whoever believes in him, his son, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, someone broke this verse down in a really cool way, and I want to break it down for you. You'll see it on the Jumbotrons up here. I think it may have ended up in your notes, too. God, you see the word God there? That's the greatest lover. See it? So loved, that's the greatest degree. The world, that's the greatest number. That he gave, that's the greatest act. His one and only Son, that's the greatest gift, that whoever believes, that's the greatest invitation, in Him, that's the greatest person, shall not perish, the greatest deliverance, but, the greatest difference, have the greatest certainty, eternal life, the greatest possession. Now I want you to go back and I want you to underline the phrase, whoever believes, see it? That whoever believes, the greatest invitation. Beloved, there isn't anybody who God won't love. Nobody, doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It's the greatest invitation. It doesn't matter what you've done. Paul, the man who wrote much in the New Testament before he gave his life over to Jesus Christ, was a persecutor of Christians. He participated in the killing of Christians. God's love is so wide it included him. The great apostle Peter actually denied knowing Jesus. Denied it. I don't know the guy. I never met the guy. I don't know what you're talking about. God's love is so wide, it included him. Mark, uh, who wrote one of the Gospels, was on a missions trip with a bunch of people and he got so scared that he ran off and left the rest of the team hanging. He was a coward. God's love is so wide, it included him. King David, who was Israel's greatest king, without a doubt, was an adulterer. He was a murderer. God's love is so wide it included him. He's known as a man after God's own heart. Beloved, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. God's love is wide enough to include you. Now, I know for some of you, this is a hard, you know, thing to grasp. A lot of people think that somehow they got to be perfect to come to church. They got to be perfect to know the Lord. That somehow they got to clean their act up and and you know and get everything all together before, you know, God would care about them or or love them. I hear it all the time, but it's not true. And you know how I know it's not true? The cross. The cross proves the fact that God loves you. It's so wide, it includes everybody, no matter what you've done. Doesn't matter. There isn't a list in the scriptures where it says, okay, I love everybody, but, but, but here, here are five things. You find anybody who's done these five things, they're out. I don't love them. For God so loved the world, except those that do these three things. That ah, doesn't say that. You see, it's in his very nature to love people Jesus loved the unlovely. Just read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He loved the unlovely. Jesus loved the unholy. Jesus loved the sinners. In fact, it often got him into trouble with the religious leaders because they didn't love sinful people. They didn't love unholy people. They didn't want to have anything to do with people like that. But Jesus did. In fact, one of the great names that was given to Jesus was he was a friend of sinners. How do I know? It's the cross that tells me he was a friend of sinners. He came and died though we were sinners, you see. The good news is is that God loves you. Now the bad news is is that Jesus loves your enemies just as much as he loves you. Well, that's no good. How how does that work? (laughs) I don't want anything to do with him then. Psalms 145 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. Beloved, the scriptures are clear. When you were in your mama's womb, God made you. He created you. Which means he loves you regardless of what you've done. He, he loves everything he has made. He made you, he loves you. God's love is so wide that it includes every, everyone. Number two. The greatness of God's love is so long, it lasts forever. It's so long, it lasts forever. Psalms 89 says, God's love will last for all time. And because God is love, that makes sense. I mean, it could never end, could it? If He is love, then it could never end. It has to go on forever. Beloved, God's love is way different than, than human love. God's love lasts forever. Human love doesn't. And if you need proof, just look at the divorce rate. It proves that human love doesn't last forever. Human love often runs out or wears out or whatever. Human love often has a a limit to it. I also know a lot of married couples who aren't divorced, but they certainly don't love each other anymore. Their love didn't last for all time. It dried up. I know families that at one time had a lot of love for each other, but not anymore. They, they actually hate each other today. The, the human love evaporates, doesn't it? Think back when you were younger in high school. You loved somebody. You don't love them anymore. You hate them. You yell at them. Probably got somebody in your family who used to love a lot. Not anymore. You see see the difference in human love and God's love? Human love doesn't last forever. But God's love does. Which is why you have to have God's love in your marriage or your family or whatever because his his love will last forever. If you don't have God in your life, If you don't have his love in your life, human love, there's no guarantees. It it lasts forever. But God's love does. It lasts forever. Now, the more I looked at this and meditated on it this past week, the more encouraged I became knowing that God's love for me will last forever, that he's never going to give up on me. No matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter what I don't do, no matter what I don't say, (laughs) God's never gonna give up on me. He's gonna love me. God said this through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, I love you people with a love that will last forever. Beloved, God will never love you any more than he does right now. Never. He loves you as much as he's ever going to love you right now. Well, I knew I should have put an offering in there and I didn't. I didn't obey him. I knew he wanted me to. It doesn't matter. God loves you whether you obey him or not. He loves you. I'm a a human being, a sinful human being. I'm an earthly father. Let me tell you something. Do my kids always obey me? No. Do your kids always obey you? No. Do you stop loving them? And you're human? You're sinful? You're marred? Do you ever stop loving your children? No. And we're humans. We're sinful. And somehow there's this impression out there that if you don't do what God says, you know, wow, he'll stop loving you. And you're doomed, you know. And so anytime you you mess up, he's just waiting, man. You just wait. Now, I know there are some human being you know, fathers that probably do that, I don't. I don't sit around just going, okay, all right, Kate, you, oh, I'm watching you. Oh, don't, oh, 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 oh you got close. Because as soon as you blow it, man, wow, wow, I'm gonna be all over you like a cheap suit. Now, I know that there are some loser dads that do that, unfortunately. But most of us in this room would never do that. We don't just, you know, we're not just, okay, there you go. Okay, you made it, buddy. Now go to bed and sleep because the next eight hours, at least you're safe in your sleep. (laughs) Can't can't mess up in your sleep. And then in the morning, you're there. Yep, now, okay, I'm watching you. And that's the impression that so many people have of God. He's just, he's just waiting. He's just on the balls of his feet, just waiting for you to mess up so that he can just get rid of you. Boy, who would want to follow that kind of God? Now, do dads, moms, do we get upset with our kids? Yes. Yes. Does God get upset with us? Yeah, he does. The Bible says that he punishes those whom he loves, just like we do, right? I punish my kids. Any good parent would. But well, that didn't mean I didn't love you. I punish my kids because I do love them. Just like you do, you see. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Because it's gonna last forever. You see, when, when you get to heaven, you're not gonna need faith or hope because you're gonna be in the very presence of God. But when you get to heaven, heaven's gonna be filled with love because God is love. So what's the greatest? There's gonna come a point in time when you don't need faith, hope. You're gonna be in the very presence of God, but you'll never be away from the presence of God's love. Never, because he is love. So God's love is wide enough to include everybody and it's long enough to last forever. Number three, the greatness of God's love is so high, it's everywhere. Romans chapter eight says, and I'm convinced, Paul says, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, Angels, demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing at all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that was revealed in Jesus Christ. And how was it revealed? The cross. God's love is so high, it's everywhere. Beloved, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's absolutely nothing, no circumstance, no situation, no sin that can separate you from God and his love for you, nothing. There's no place that you can go where God's love isn't, which is a great antidote for for loneliness. Let me give you a cold, hard fact. You'll lose somebody that you love someday or someone that loves you. It's just a cold, hard fact. If you're married, one of you is going to die first. And I want you to know that that you'll grieve over that. But if you're a Christian, you'll never be alone. Because you'll always have the opportunity to tune into God's love. Someday you'll lose a parent or a grandparent to death or a child to death or a friend to death. and, And you'll grieve over that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll never be alone because you can always tap into the love of God that indwells you. Listen to what God said through the prophet Isaiah. He said, never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she born? But even if that were possible, Even if it was, I would not forget you, God says. See, I've written your name in the palms of my hands. Listen, I've never nursed a child. Got three of them. And I'll tell you right now, I'll never forget them. Never. Never. They, they, they could move on, get married, you know, I hope my son gets into ministry and finds a church someplace and, you know, and my, 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 my kids will get, I don't know what they're gonna do, but I'm never gonna forget them. How can I? I raised them. Uh, my, look at my hair. It used to be like a different color. They did this to me. How am I, how can I, Greg, at least I got hair. Sorry, pal. I know you're going, dude, I'd like to have hair. I know. Uh, well, your kids did that to you. Yeah, I know. Pew! Shoots out of you, unbelievable. How could you forget your kids? And God says, listen, isn't that a great illustration? God says, hey, look, I'm not gonna forget you. You think that there's something that you could do to make me forget you, God says? Oh man, I got your names written in my palms and my hands. I'm not gonna forget you. I'm gonna forget you. So God's love includes everyone, and it's everywhere, and it lasts forever. Number four, the greatness of God's love is so deep that it can meet any need. Isaiah chapter 43 says, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, and you're mine. When you go through deep waters, I'm going to be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you won't be burned up. The flames aren't going to consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in place of you. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored, and I love you. I love you. Beloved, some of you are in deep despair right now, aren't you? I don't know what it's about. I don't know what it's over. I just know some of you are in deep despair. Some of you are in deep trouble right now. Some of you are in, you know, under deep stress right now. You've got deep problems, emotional problems, physical problems, financial problems. This is where you're at right now. You need to understand that God's love is deeper than all your despair, your troubles, your stress, your problems or whatever. No matter what you're facing right now or in the future, you need to understand that God's love is deeper than all those, all those things, whatever those things might be. And I'm not a guy that's standing up here that's had it all great my whole life. I haven't. I've been through some deep, deep sorrowful stuff in my life. And I wouldn't be standing here right now if it wasn't for the love of God in my life. Corey and Betsy Tinboom were Christians who lived in the Netherlands during World War II, and they hid Jews in their home to protect them from the Germans who were trying to take them to concentration camps. Well, one day, they got busted, and they, too, were taken to a concentration camp. Corey came out alive, but her sister uh, was killed in the concentration camp. And they made a movie of their lives. It's a great movie. And at one point in the movie, they, they, they had just seen some horrible atrocities in these concentration camps. And Corey says to Betsy, this place is the pit of hell. And Betsy said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper. It's a great line in the movie. And some people say she actually said it. There's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper. Beloved, when you hit rock bottom, guess who's underneath the bottom? God. Deuteronomy 13 or or chapter 33 says, the everlasting God is your place of safety and his arms will hold you up forever. And you know why? Because he's a God of love. He's a God of love. I watched a a young boy uh, get hit today in a game. My my son at a game, it's coach pitch, and a kid got hit. A ball hit him. Okay, and no, it's not the one that I was throwing. I was was pitching, and I hit one of our own kids. How horrible is that? And the coach, it's coach pitch, and I hit one of my own players. He's wounded for life, but this was another player who got hit. Wasn't my, wasn't my guy. And I and I watched this 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 dad. You know? Dad. Kids out there playing, playing ball. And seven-year-olds out there, you know, playing. Take hit. Boom. And I'm watching this dad go out and grab his son. And hold his son. Big powerful dad, probably. Probably, you know, you know, beat up people all the time, man. Just arms that were like leather. That leather arm. Stubby beard. And here was this big man holding up his son. And that's the picture here. Deep, deep things happen in your life. Things that may have been out of your control. Maybe things you brought on yourself. Because God loves us so much, he's right there. He's right there. He cares deeply about you. And the cross is the place that that, that proves proves it. And and, and by the way, what was the, the greatest need that you had? The greatest need that you had was to have your sins forgiven. And God so loved you that he made a way for it to happen. And that was through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, The Bible says in John chapter 15, these were actual words of Jesus. He said the greatest love a person can have for his friend is to give his life up for them. And this is exactly what Jesus did for you. He gave his life up for you to solve your greatest need. Your greatest need, the forgiveness of your sin. He didn't have the need. You did. I did. He didn't have a need. He was perfect. So here we had this great need to have our sins forgiven and so the perfect son of God comes and gave his life up for us. Once again, I want us to look just quickly at John chapter three, verse 16. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish because of their sin but have eternal life. You see, the love of of God meets all your needs, but especially your greatest need, and that is the forgiveness of your sins. Now, if this is true, and it is, that God is love and that he loved people so much he sent his son to die for them, if that's true, then why do so many people avoid God? I mean, some people, man, they just run from him like, you know, like he's got the plague. Well, well, let me give you a couple of thoughts here. I think there's lots of reasons, but I want to zero in on one, and I think it's fear. I think a lot of people are afraid of what might happen to them if they really give their life to God, so they do their best you know, to keep a safe distance from them. Let me give you a couple thoughts here. Number one, I think that they fear that somehow their lives will become boring. I think that there are people out there, at least in my years of ministry here, as I talk with folks, you know, they have this fear that somehow their life's going to become boring. They think that if they give their life over to God, they'll have to give up all their fun. They won't be able to watch TV anymore. They've got to be in bed at 8 o'clock. They can't listen to the radio anymore. They can't go to movies anymore. They can't play games anymore. They can't play with cards anymore. Can't stay up late anymore, you know, whatever. When I gave my life to Christ, there was a lady in the church right here at Big Valley Grace. We weren't here. We were around the corner. We were a smaller church, and this lady was kind of influential in the church. And I was brand new Christian, and one of the first things she did was she gave me her list of don'ts. And one of them was don't play cards. And it was like, you know, whenever I saw a deck of cards, it was like, I don't, I don't know what it is, but there must be something in the Bible. Somewhere Jesus talked about playing cards. And so I'm gonna stay away from them because I don't want any evil creeping into my life. The two hearts. The four clubs, put them together. You got all kinds of problems. You know, I, I had, I had no idea. And, you know, and then the longer I read the scriptures, it was like, and I actually held them, and a lightning bolt didn't boom kill me. I dealt them out one time. I, I'm okay. I, I guess I'm okay. It was unbelievable. But I was all freaked out, like I know a lot of people are. If You give your life to the Lord, you know, you've heard enough of the don't list that you just don't want any part of it anymore. You're gonna lose all your fun. You know, in other words, if you become a Christian, the party's over. Give your life to God, you know, you're gonna be miserable your whole life. You ever met a Christian like that? They're just miserable. Look got the joy of the Lord. <laughs> You want, you want to know the Jesus I know? <laughs> no, not really. I'm, I'm okay, I'm good. I'm good. I'm gonna go play with cards. They're you, you're, you're, you're fine. Uh, it's like, what? It's unbelievable. It's just so untrue. Jesus said, man, the thief's purpose is to come and steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Unbelievable how we've just been lied to and we buy into that lie. The world wants you to believe that being a follower of Christ is boring or whatever, and it's just not true. It's the most incredible, fulfilling life there is. I was talking to a, a younger guy a few weeks ago at Barnes & Noble. Someone had introduced him to me, and, and one of the first things he said to me was, you know, I, you know, he knew I was a pastor. Church isn't for me. You know, the people are fake, and, and it's no fun. And so I asked him where he liked to go to have fun and hang out with people who were real, and he looked me straight in the eye and told me the name of this bar singles bar and I'm thinking to myself could there be a phonier place where one goes you know where else do you walk up to somebody hey hey can I buy you a drink to a total stranger I mean would you walk up to a total stranger and say hey you know in, a, in Macy's hey can I buy you a shirt I mean it, it's, it's just nutty what goes on there it's the most phoniest place on the planet but somehow they've bought into the lie that wow, that's where real people are. This is really real. People really care. That guy really cared about me. He bought me a drink. <laughs> yeah, and he'll keep buying you another one too. However many it takes. 1 Timothy says, and for those in this present age who are rich, command them not to be haughty or set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather they need to put their hope on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God gives us what we have, whatever it is for our enjoyment. God doesn't want to make your life miserable. He wants you to enjoy life, but the life that God offers is way different than the life that the world offers. Listen, the life or the fun that God offers comes with no regrets when the night's over. The life or the fun that God offers comes with your family intact when it's over. The life or the fun that God offers comes with a clear conscience when it's over. The life that God offers doesn't come with some sexually transmitted disease when it's over, you know, herpes or AIDS or warts or gonorrhea or whatever. Boy, isn't that fun? The fun that God offers doesn't come with, you know, an unwanted pregnancy when it's over. The fun that God offers doesn't come with damaged emotions when it's over. The fun that God offers... Doesn't come with your head hanging over the toilet when the night's over. The fun and the life that God offers when it's all said and done, you got a clear conscience. Family's intact. You wake up without a hangover. Beloved, nobody has more fun than I do, nobody. Living the Christian life is unbelievable. It's it's the greatest life on the planet. And yet there's this huge fear out there that somehow your life will be boring. Number two, a lot of people fear that if, if they give their life to the Lord, they'll have to become some crazy fanatic. I remember when I was younger, I'd watch TV and there was always the guy with the colored hair in the end zone. The afro, and he'd hold up a sign, John 3:16. And I was like, Oh man, is that what happens when you become a Christian? (laughs) You got to become a fanatic, a crazy guy. I'm not giving my life to the Lord. I'm gonna have to go do something nutty. I can't play with cards. This is unbelievable. (laughs) Listen, God doesn't turn anybody into fanatics, crazy wackies. Give me another one. Number three. Some people think that they'll lose their freedom (laughs) if they (laughs) become a Christian. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, then you'll be really free. Beloved, this is real freedom, not phony freedom. Real freedom is freedom from guilt. Real freedom is freedom from worry. Oh no. No. I remember when I was in high school and I would go out and just get all inebriated, drunk, and I had a Volkswagen, and I would get home and I'd wake up in the mornings and I'd go out and I literally would open my front door and I'd go out to my car and go, God, please, please. And I'd walk around it just to make sure that I hadn't hit anybody on the way home, there wasn't any blood on the bumper because I didn't even know how I got home And real freedom is freedom from bitterness, freedom from the fear of death because you know what's gonna happen to you when you take your last breath here on planet Earth, the freedom that you know you're gonna spend your eternity with God, freedom to quit pretending, freedom to be yourself, who God made you, that's real freedom, that's freedom. What the world offers is so bogus, it's unbelievable. Beloved, the more you realize just how great and awesome Jesus is, how how much he loves you, you're not gonna have any of these fears or other fears. The very first words Jesus said when he came out of the tomb on Easter Sunday was, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Because he knew that in this world, there are just lots of fears. And God was saying, "Don't, don't be afraid. Jesus didn't come to planet Earth to scare you. He came because he loved you, which he proved at the cross. He came to bring you eternal life, which he proved when he walked out of the grave. He came to set you free from the bondage of, of sin. That's why he came. I want you to just close your eyes for, for a moment here. and Pastor Scott's going to come and pray and look, I, I'm wondering. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe tonight as you heard about how loving God is, just these, you know, I I I just scratched the surface. I didn't even get close to even describing what God's love's like. Man, last weekend during Easter services, there were lots of people who came forward in all of our, our gatherings. And maybe you've come back and you weren't one of them. Maybe this is your first time here, I don't know. But I believe somehow God opened your eyes to the truth of God's love. I want to lead you in a prayer. If you'd like to receive Jesus Christ into your life for the forgiveness of sin, the greatest need that you've got, just pray this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I invite you into my life. I give my life over to you right now, Jesus. It's yours. I receive your love in my life. Cleanse me of my sin.